Welcome to The Leaf, 60 minutes of heavy cannabis culture, sparking deep tracks and deep discussion about a subject we all know about, but haven't really been able to speak freely about until now. I'm your host, Stephen Blush, live from the headquarters of the Blush Media Network. Hail The Leaf. Cannabis legalization is coming fast. That's the new reality. The next step is how we responsibly introduce it into the mainstream. Because as much as we all love a good stoner film, no one wants to live in some Cheech and Chong world. So there's a lot to sort out. Each episode, we explore a different cannabis issue. With expert guests, be they political, medical, scientific, or ethical. This week, we hear from Harvard professor David Cristiani, whose famous studies expose the dangers of vaping. We'll spend some quality time with Cannabis Cup judge and Chicago rock legend Chips Enough of the band Enough's Enough. We'll discuss cannabis news with the great Laura Sativa. And we'll go way back into the vaults over 30 years to hear some words of cannabis wisdom from the great Robert Plant. Hail the Leaf. So that's what's in store for this episode of The Leaf, your home for heavy cannabis culture. Cannabis and culture. So let's begin this heavy cannabis conversation by introducing our co-hostess with the mostess, Laura Sativa, a beautiful flower named for that most beautiful of hemp flowers, Cannabis Sativa. Laura will explain how your favorite rock stars are creating a responsible cannabis message. Welcome, Laura. Hi, Stephen. Now, Laura is a very cool New York musician in the worlds of punk and metal, so she's definitely not some deadhead hippie. Now, in the German language, there are a few different words that mean to laugh at someone else's expense. Indeed. The one word is like Schadenfreuden. Something mm-hmm. like that. Did I pronounce that right? Mm-hmm. And I am definitely experiencing a moment of Schadenfreuden over your first episode of The Leaf. <laughs> Hail the Leaf. Grateful Dead founding members Bob Weir and Mickey Hart have been urging their fans to vote for cannabis law reform. The two asked their Twitter followers to join the Cannabis Voter Project which aims to educate Americans about how voting can impact cannabis policy. Fans were asked to either text 40649, which would then prompt them to fill out a petition advocating cannabis legalization, or to visit a Cannabis Voter Project booth at one of the Dead and Company's concerts. Mickey Hart is also co-owner of a successful cannabis company that specializes in selling small joints in shops throughout Northern California. The Dead were one of the first rock bands to openly advocate for marijuana. Back in 1967, during the darkest days of cannabis prohibition, the opening track on their first album was called The Golden Road to Unlimited Devotion and included the lyric, Lie down, smoke, and honey, have yourself a ball. Laura, I gotta say, I love hearing you talk about the Grateful Dead. It's just like this little inside (laughs) joke that I am just digging. So, now here at The Leaf, we try to, res- to promote a responsible cannabis. And a case, a very good case, in fact, could be made 
that most deadheads embody cannabis irresponsibility. Well, hopefully these efforts are going to be changing that. Yes, well, we hope we can only grow in, in, as people, right? Mm -hmm. So what I like about this news item is that it personifies rock stars using their public platform to speak out on issues of social justice and personal liberty. And I think we could all agree that the underground music from the 60s through the 90s kept the cannabis issue alive. And there was no more important of an underground rock band than the Grateful Dead. Now, that may be a hard line for you to, to swallow, but... Things change, things progress, and that's what we're here for. We love that. That's what it's all about on The Leaf. Oh, I like these Hawaiian sounds. It makes me think about Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard made an album in Hawaii in 2015 called Django and Johnny that had this awesome song on it called It's All Going to Pot. It's all going to pot, whether we like it or not. And with that, Laura has something to say about our favorite friend, Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson, well, no segment on cannabis and culture would be complete without a little something on shotgun Willie Nelson. You may have heard that Willie has his own cannabis brand called Willie's Reserve. But did you know he's also the chief testing officer of his harvest? Love that. The 86-year-old Texas outlaw credits marijuana for saving his life. He recently told Tonight Show host Jimmy Fallon, this is a quote, I used to smoke two or three packs of cigarettes a day and drink whatever there was to drink. I had pneumonia four or five times. My lung collapsed. I almost died. So I said, wait a minute. I ain't getting high off Chesterfields. So I throw out the cigarettes, rolled up 20 joints, stuck them in there and I haven't smoked a cigarette since. Nelson previously wrote a memoir called Roll Me Up and Smoke Me When I Die. And back in 1980, he famously smoked a joint on the White House roof. Seriously, what's not to like about Willie Nelson? Nothing. His message is a great example of social responsibility. It's not like he's promoting cannabis to children. And it's an honest testimonial from a man who 40 years ago turned to cannabis to rid himself of alcohol and tobacco. At age 86, Willie might be the oldest active touring musician. I mean, in comparison, Paul McCartney's 77. And for what it's worth, they have both advocated on the subject. Just saying. Millions of people love Willie Nelson and he does nothing but bring joy to the world. As someone deeply involved in music, I know a lot of inside dirt, and I've never heard a bad word about Willie. Nothing but adoration and respect for his humility. has the feel of that recently released Neil Young official live video from 1998 at the San Francisco Cow Palace with all that country twang on it. And I know the next topic is about homegrown cannabis and Neil Young wrote a classic tune called Homegrown which he performs in that video but I much rather prefer Neil's original version of Homegrown that, that gritty version from Russ Never Sleeps sound from American Stars and Bars, 1977. Well, let's talk about Don Nelson. No relation to Willie. 
no he, relation. He was a tough, hard-drinking basketball player and coach with nearly 30 years in the NBA. On HBO's Real Sports with Brian Gumbel, Don Nelson, who had never smoked marijuana, said that he is now following the lifestyle advice of his close friend and neighbor, Willie Nelson. The 79-year-old moved to Hawaii in 2013 and now grows his own personal medical stash referred to as Nelly Kush. That makes him the first retired NBA coach known to grow marijuana. The long-haired divorcee enjoys retirement at his beachfront home in Maui, living next door to a daughter he never knew he'd had that he's just recently been reunited with. Wow. In the HBO piece, Don Nelson offered the following cultivation advice, and I quote, You've got to treat it like a baby. You've got to water them. You've got to have music for them. You've got to bless them. It's a whole process, I'm telling you. You feel the love in what he's saying there, right? You can. Wow. So, you know, Don Nelson, for those of you who don't know, was such an NBA star that his number hangs from the rafters at the Boston Garden. In his 10 years with the Celtics, they won four championships with those red R-back John Havlicek teams. Then he coached the Bucks, the Knicks, the Mavericks, the Warriors twice, and one of those Olympic dream teams. As a coach, Don Nelson looked terrible. He always had this ruddy face. He always seemed angry and irritated. But now at age 90, the man looks terrific. He's not selling or advocating anything. He's really just sharing the joys of his organic garden. So thank you, Don Nelson, and again to his friend Willie Nelson for another example of socially responsible cannabis. I love that country beat. I don't know if you know about Ashley Monroe. She's a country singer, and that's her real name. She's not a porn star. She did one of my favorite songs of 2014. It was called Weed Instead of Roses. Give me weed instead of roses, and let's see where it goes. Love that. Now, you probably know the tawdry story involving that TV show, The Voice, where Gwen Stefani dumped her husband, the singer of Bush, get with the show's star country singer Blake Shelton, who left his wife, Miranda Lambert. Well, about a year ago, before that breakup, Blake officiated the wedding of of their friend Ashley to John Danks, the Chicago White Sox pitcher. Ashley and Miranda now have a band called the Pistol Annies, and they've got that great song called I Got My Name Changed Back. Ashley and John Danks, by the way, are doing very well in raising a family. But I digress. So let's talk about this New York Times style section. They just ran a cover story entitled Marijuana, Reefer, Weed, How Language Keeps Evolving for the Devil's Lettuce. This 2,000-word piece quotes extensively from former High Times writer Shirley Halperin, author of the 2007 book Pot Culture, The A to Z Guide to Stoner Language and Life, about the generational divide between Generation X and Millennials when it comes to the language and the etiquette of marijuana. The two biggest takeaways from this article are that today's marketers seeking to exploit the $10 billion business have been unsuccessful in their insistence on exclusively using the term cannabis. In fact, most Millennials still call it weed. 
we also learn that there are two words never to use again. Nobody says pot anymore, and absolutely no one wants to ever hear the word stoner. So don't say stoner rock, whatever you do. Well, you won't say it. we all got a soft spot for some stoner rock. Yes, we do. A really soft spot. <coughs> so this New York Times-style section cover story is helping to mainstream the cannabis issue, which can only be good at this point in history. What I learned from this new news item is to say weed and to never, ever say pot. The article also goes into changing cannabis etiquette, which is something to address in a future episode of The Leaf. And I also learned that Shirley Halperin's book, Pot Culture, is a nice read and will make for a great Christmas gift. You know, the Rolling Stones began as a blues group, so their most appropriate early song to mention would be the B-side to 1963's I Wanna Be Your Man single. It's called Stoned. The Rolling Stone kicked off this year's No Filter tour in Chicago. From the stage, Mick Jagger saluted new Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, who'd campaigned on a promise to legalize recreational marijuana. And then he signed the legislation into law on the day of the concert. The law allows adults, 21 and older, to possess, consume, and purchase certain amounts of cannabis from licensed retailers. And it includes automatic expungements for certain marijuana convictions. The law also allots $30 million for a low-interest loan program to encourage those from communities disproportionately impacted by prohibition to participate in the controlled new legal market. Jagger told the sold-out crowd, I'd like to welcome Governor Pritzker, who today just legalized cannabis in Illinois. So you're all going to light up legally in January. And then he joked, some of you may have just jumped the gun. Got to give it to Mick Jagger. He's still pretty funny. Absolutely. Well, Mick is correct. Thank you, Governor Pritzker, for such a sensible response to cannabis prohibition and incarceration. What's being offered in Illinois is a responsible solution to the carnage and collateral damage inflicted by the war on drugs. But the real question that comes to my mind is, how many young lives were ruined for getting busted for possession at Stones concerts over the years? So, it's a lot to digest. Thank you, Laura Sativa. Thank you, Stephen. For showing how our favorite stars are speaking up to create a responsible cannabis dialogue. Cannabis expert segment. So, we all know that the overriding problem affecting the cannabis debate is the dangers of vaping. The confirmed 37 deaths and over 1,900 illnesses have been awful and in retrospect seem quite avoidable. To find out more, we went straight to the source. Harvard professor Dr. David Christiani, who conducted the New England Journal of Medicine study that first exposed the hazards of vaping. Now, Dr. Christiani is a brilliant surgeon and professor. He's one of the most intellectual people in the world. And I don't want to turn this into some NPR segment on inhalation toxicology. 
So I'm going to play a few Keith passages and then translate his words into basic English so that within a few minutes you'll fully understand why to never vape again. Dr. Christiani first spoke about his study on vaping and other medical studies that support his claim. Uh, vaping is not new, and there have been case reports for some years now. Uh, adverse health effects, presumably from the additives, things like flavorants. I think what happens here is it's a much larger scale. What he's saying is that all of the medical studies have shown adverse effects from the additives and flavorings found in the vaping cartridges. And as more people vape, the problem only escalates. So he's identifying a clear cause and effect between vaping and lung injury. Next, Dr. Cristiani spoke about the different additives or processes used in the different vape manufacturers and what it means from a health perspective. So the chemistry is complicated. The toxicology looks like it's lung injury, but the pattern is heterogeneous. Because it's a heterogeneous group of disorders, it does suggest that there may be more than one agent involved because the response looks quite varied. But it's, in, in all cases, it's much more accelerated than you'd expect in a chronic inhalation problem. What he's saying is that the coroner toxicology reports are similar, but they, they all slightly vary based on the particular vape and cartridge used. But I thought his last line there was key, where he said, in all cases, it's much more accelerated than chronic inhalation, meaning smoking a joint. So he's talking about how bad this is for you, no matter what the results are. Next, uh, Dr. Christiani's study importantly identified vitamin E oil acetate used to blend the various flavorings that, when become heated, become toxic. Vitamin E acetate is an oil. Some of the cases indeed had what we call lipoid pneumonia. That could happen if someone were just were inhaling Vaseline-type product. But if you look carefully at the report, which was not a peer-reviewed report, they said 8 out of 34 reported using vitamin E acetate in their mixture. So that's a minority, a substantial minority. That means vitamin E acetate has to be one of the many compounds investigated. And it may well explain one or so of the outcomes, but it's not the whole picture. I think it's premature. What he's saying is that vitamin E acetate is just one contributing factor. So don't think for a second that it's safe to vape just by ridding of the vitamin E acetate products. Then he spoke about what could be done to solve the problem. I just think you know, we need accelerated research. This is uh, it's not the first time something dramatic has happened that, that requires a concerted response on the part of the science community, public health community, and actually manufacturers to the extent that they can be brought in and to you know, help figure this out. I like that final sentence about bringing in the manufacturers as much as they could be brought in. Like, don't trust them for a second. And finally... The doctor told our listeners why not to vape. I think it's going to take some time. That's why I think it's prudent to advise people as both physician and as public health specialists not to vape because we don't know what it is. Even with a very large concerted effort, the number of potential culprits is large. Dissecting the chemistry of this may reveal compounds that haven't been adequately tested in humans or animals, so we don't really even know the extent of the inhalation toxicity. 
In other words, vaping is still so new that it hasn't even been properly tested, meaning that we don't even know how bad it could be for you. So stay away. Thank you, Dr. Christiani, for joining us on The Leaf. Interviews from the vault. So over the decades, I've interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of musicians. As a journalist, my chats often drift off into provocative territory. I spent years at high times, and I often angered a lot of the publicists and managers for drawing out their artists' deepest, darkest secrets. So needless to say, there was much to chat about cannabis and other psychoactive substances. I particularly appreciated speaking to veteran musicians who'd speak of their vices as building blocks to adulthood. One such memorable conversation took place in 1992 with Led Zeppelin great Robert Plant, speaking very intently atop a boulder in Central Park with no shoes on. This was before legalization, so every time he mentioned cannabis as part of his past, he'd also kind of give a wink and a smile. So, you be the judge. How do you think drugs have affected your music creative process over the years? Um, I mean, as far as uh, music goes, because I think there's a there's a relationship in there that you know people get weird about talking about. But I think it's... Mm. For me personally, um, I used to smoke a lot of dope. <clears throat> in Europe, there's much more hash available, and there were different. If it came from a different country, it would have a different effect. Now they'd be elating or sort of very heavy and ooh. And um, I think, really, that uh, it did nothing for me. Throughout, in fact, maybe, as I look back now, it might have even got in the way of where I was going to go. Because I haven't even lit a joint since 1977. So, and my, I have managed to kick out a few melodies and abstractions since then that have been totally clear. And before that, drugs and a vocal and, a, and th the three vocal cords that live in this throat don't get on very well, you know. So whatever, if I wanted to change my state of mind or my vision, I'd be better off just using a bit of optimism and a girlfriend. And that doesn't sound uh, it actually it sounds perfect because that's exactly what it was. I like because I could. For me to write and for me to be able to create, I've got to stay pretty on the ball. And I also want to laugh a lot. You know, I don't want to find myself melting into the, into the carpet, going, oh, only another 20 minutes and I'll be okay. So that's some pretty classic throwback from Robert Plant, 1992. So that was Robert Plant rehashing his smoky cannabis past, another great historical tale from our musical history. It's on the Leaf Broadcasting Network. Celebrity Cannabis Spotlight. Okay, on the phone, somewhere between normal Illinois and abnormal Chicago, is my favorite Cannabis King star, Chips Enough of Enough's Enough. How you doing, brother? Good for my age. Uh, you're very smart, by the way. Very intuitive. I like that you say that. Yeah. Because um, my ego is bigger than the crowd of the Metallica show. <laughs> That's some ego, let me tell you. 
It certainly is. So, Chip, you've been doing some cool work as of late. Um, Tell us about Chip's Enough and Enough's Enough as we go into the year 2020. Uh, Every day's something new to to discover. Uh, Being here in Chicago, even though it's my hometown, I'm finding myself traveling all over the country, bro. I've been on tour for the last two years with Enough's Enough, out with Ace Freely, out with Jack Russell's Great White doing a bunch of stuff for Live Nations, which is really good. It's always nice to be associated by them. And then uh, a, a full-time press junket while I'm on these tours promoting the new Enough Snuff album, which is called uh, um, Diamond Boy. The record's done very well for us. I had no, I didn't anticipate this kind of success. So, yeah, it's lucky to be out there working. I see everybody out there, and we're all fighting for gigs and uh, to get out there and reach as many people as possible. And, I, and I'm just lucky every day I get a chance to get up and uh, go out and play these songs and, and push what I'm pushing. Does it feel different now? Like, um, you know, year, years later, it's not the same game you were playing on, what was it, Atlantic Records back in the day? or You know what I'm saying? It's like a... Not really. It's pretty... <laughs> I mean, let's face it. In this day and age in the music business, you know, a lot of us are confused emotional progress. The record sales aren't the same as it used to be. However, our record did chart in the Billboard Top 200 and... That's the first time that's happened for me in 20-something years. So some things have changed a little bit. But for the most part, instead of being out with uh, the band and, uh, on a big, huge tour bus and an ounce of cocaine and tons of booze and you know traveling from city to city, wash, rinse, repeat, uh, it's, it's a band that we're touring around in a sprinter. Backline provided at a lot of the shows. And when we fly around the country and go over to Europe or anywhere, you know, the gear is already, everything's there. Just we, the band shows up, we play our songs and try to go back and into the history books and pull out some of the old material. It's a big, huge hodgepodge potpourri of the first album through the 20th. So it's a lot of stuff to pick from. And I'm just grateful there's even an audience out there. There's so much stuff going on there right now. I mean, it's overpopulated. We're, we're in a day and age right now where um, you find all these bands with, with a, a brings truck full of content, but too much product, and, is not, and there's just not enough demand. So you really got to hustle out there. Uh, with the advent of the Internet, yeah, you can hit a button and you can get some things happening. But for the most part, yeah, it's about getting out there and taking the music to the streets. Mm-hmm. You know, you were one of the first musicians back in that. I mean, there was a bunch of people, but who were unafraid to talk about cannabis back in the day. And, um, you know, we both remember that even 20 years ago, advocating for cannabis was unpopular, to say the least. So, I mean, first of all, you must have some feel satisfied or vindicated and, or something in some way, or you feel like the world finally evolved. Well, it certainly was lucky for me that, to mention High Times Magazine on the Howard Stern Show back in 1989. That started everything. Mm-hmm. Then Steve, uh, I think it was at the time, Steve Bloom and uh, there was another cat that was there too. They were both running the show, and they reached out to me and uh, said, uh, would you be interested in coming down to uh, High Times Magazine and, uh, and doing an interview? I said, yeah, I would. It would be great. And that started the whole this whole onslaught of pot for, for Enough's Enough because most of the bands, you're absolutely right, were certainly afraid of it. Uh, they, nobody wanted to be stigmatized now. If you're talking about it, you're way ahead of the game, and it's cool, and you're flamboyant. Wow, look at this cat, man. He knows what he's talking about. But for back then, it was uh, it was a kiss of death for a lot of cats. They're afraid to be associated with it. Why I don't know. But that's what it was. You know, my first day at High Times Magazine, going down, the first guy I ran to was Jack Herrera. Hmm. And awesome. We, we sat in the back room and just talked about pot for three, four hours. And at High Times, they would smoke pot with the clients that would come into those uh, 
to their building. I think they were uh, on the uh, maybe 16th floor on this big high-rise off of 54th Street. That's where their office was. And we'd walk in there, and there would be pot from all around the country. The fans would send it to them because they wanted to try and maybe talk about it in their publication. And just there was a Brinks truck. It was Cheech and Chong there. By the way, Chong was there one night, actually. We smoked pot together and played guitar all night. Uh, But for the most part, Jack and I just talked about how we can spread the word around without hurting ourselves. You know, and of course, his book came out later on after that, uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, and it was pretty successful. And uh, we ended up taking a trip. We were Cannabis Cup judges for High Times Magazine, so... Um, my band, Enough Enough, went over there with Jack and with Sebastian Bach and a bunch of other rock stars and dignitaries, and we basically uh, lived uh, and breathed marijuana for seven days, went to every single coffee shop, smoked all day and night. It was great. Uh, I remember the editor of High Times Magazine gave everybody bags of pot. It was a big shopping bag, and it was 16 or 17 different kinds of uh, cuts of, of, the, of the pot, and then uh, it was up to us. Jeff was just holding us over for the rest of the trip, but I remember we were all hired in sin, and we certainly didn't want to confuse motion with progress. We were there to judge this contest and just find out who carries the best pot in the world. Did you, ever figure, did you ever figure out the answer to that question? Uh, no. It was a, the place that won that year was a place called the Greenhouse, and enough enough gave the cup away to the guy named Arian, who ran the Greenhouses, and he's got a couple of them now. Guys, if you pushed him off his wall, he'd break his neck ten times. Now he's got a Brinks truck full of money. Real good-looking cat. And he, he, he's got two or three of uh, the greenhouses now over in, in Holland, and he's done very well. Uh, and we were the start of that. We, you can blame us, Jack and myself and Steve and the rest of the cats that were over at High Times Magazine all voted for him as uh, the best pot. For me, I haven't really found the best pot yet. I wouldn't know what it is. I certainly came close to it, I'll tell you. In San Francisco, I ran to this guy who... Uh, in Mendocino, who had this pot, and he was a cancer survivor, and it was called Snow Peak Ultra. It was $500 for an ounce. There's no deal, no break. He doesn't care who you were. Snoop Dogg, it doesn't matter. You're paying 500 bucks an ounce for the pot. He grew it himself, and uh, it was absolutely incredible. Everybody wanted it. I would open a bag up in one room, and people would come running from the other room. Just I was smoking it. Just opening the bag it was that pungulant. <laughs> and uh, it's just such a, a great taste of it as well. And it was really high THC content for back then. Um, but now, uh, you know, going out with all the pots right now and checking out, there's just too many names. What did Keith Richards said? He said his best. He goes, too many names, uh, not enough said. <laughs> That's what it is in the pot right now. It's just, it's just too much. It's over. It's overbearing. Very well and said. I, all right. I, you can you can try them all. There's you know, and if you want to do, you got the time for that. But I think most people out in the world that that like to partake and smoke pot, uh, they find what they like and they kind of stick to that and they don't really change it up. Whereas now, because pot is it's legal in 11, I think 11 or 12 different states, uh, you you got a choice of picking from you know 20 different kinds, 20 20 or 30 strains, yeah. and they're all expensive. I say the black market will still rule for the rest of eternity because uh, as soon as the government gets involved, it's, it goes up another 20, 30 percent, if not more. Plus, they know exactly what you're doing. They're, it's a talk about transparency. They, I mean, they actually put handcuffs on you 
as opposed to going to, and finding the pot from your guy across the street from the local 7-Eleven who sells you the pot, and it's great, and you're not going to pay any taxes on it, and it'll, it'll hold you over just as fine. So um, medical marijuana right now, more guys I know that don't are just staying away from that. They're just going, okay, if I want to get it, I go to my buddy, she'll get it for me, and I can try that that way. Uh, in the meantime, let's grow ourselves. A lot of people are grabbing onto it. It's the Wild West out there. I love that. So what are you thinking about when legalization comes to Illinois starting in January? I mean, has it sunk in yet? And any thoughts of how you're going to celebrate on January 1st? I mean, I don't know. Any thoughts on all of this? No. No, nothing changes. You can't smoke and drive. We know that rule. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're around a school and you're smoking, you're going to get reprimanded for that, too. How do you know? You got to really, you really got to watch yourself. You can smoke in your home is basically what they're saying. You're not going to be walking down the street smoking. It's not going to be... Like Amsterdam. And Amsterdam, by the way, there's a, everybody's got this thought that, that it's legal out there. That's illegal out in Amsterdam. For, for, they made it work for some reason because the government has you know, made sure that uh, they watch over everything. And, you know, it's very transparent there for sure. Uh, but they don't, uh, they don't put any uh, laws into effect at all. It's just, you know, you sell your pot, go right ahead. And you can go to the red light district, and you can celebrate prostitution as well, and it's okay. Here in the United States, there'll never be the laws will never be like that, especially in Illinois, which is the, one of the most corrupt states in North America. They'll be watching over everything. There'll be places where you can go, and if you're driving and they smell pot on your breath or anything, they'll be able to give you a test and tell you if you can drive or if you've been impaired. It's just like getting a DUI. So, I don't think the laws and the rules are going to change that much at all. I think it's still going to be illegal, even though it's legalized. And maybe if you get you go to a hockey game and somebody checks your pocket and finds a little bit of pot, you might get a slap on the wrist for that. But uh, besides that, nothing changes. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, just spoke to a uh, the Harvard uh, professor who had done the study on vaping. He was the uh, he came up with the study about um, the perils of vaping, and uh, I just wanted your thoughts on all that. Because it's like a weird, it's a weird mechanical thing, right? It's like this, it's, 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 a, it's a far departure from what you were rolling. You know, when it first came out, we were celebrating it because it was a way to sneak and get away with murder. You can go to a concert, you can vape, nobody said a word about it. It was, you could do it on planes. So in the, in the beginning, when it first came out, it was celebrated for sure. Now it's not because not only can you not smoke on the planes or anywhere else you're going or sporting events or anywhere, uh, but now they're finding out that there's some kind of something inside the vapes that are causing uh, all those problems, giving a lot of health issues to younger children, uh, along with cats at our age. So uh, I don't think uh, we have the research yet on vapes and exactly uh, what it does for you or what it doesn't do. I prefer old-fashioned like Snoop Dogg and Be Real and all those cats. And, uh, they just roll the joint, you know. They clean it out. No stems, no seeds. Uh, roll it up yourself and then uh, you know, smoke it nice and organic in a paper that's uh, preferably like a job paper that doesn't have uh, um, any or, kind of horse glue on it. Yeah, like like yeah, everyone thinks they're that... like I like all my vegetarian friends who are using big bamboo and they're like licking like horse glue. <laughs> they don't even yeah. know it. I mean, come no, on. I don't want any bleach. I don't want any glues or anything. But although a lot of papers do have that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, they say the best paper is the raw paper, but I think now Job has come out with a new paper and uh, that does. And those cellulose papers are pretty good as well, which is made out of vegetable extract. And that seems to be a, a healthy resource as well. But everybody's, what, and whatever trips your trigger. I just, I smoke and I smoke. If I'm going to smoke, I want to smoke a clean and pure. Do you have any rolling tips? Yeah, make sure it's nice and clean. No stems, no, 
no 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 lumber no nothing you know just a nice clean roll oh if i could sh- i could show you how to roll a joint because i i roll them for all the guys all the time <laughs> uh and I, I pretty much have it down but i have to roll on about 50 50,000 joints i think i got it down to a science right now you better have and it down. Very, i can't i can't help you if you don't have that down yet yeah yeah Jack Herrera says the secret to a good joint is cleaning it very well, and he's absolutely right. That, that comes from a very good source. Um, so we've been talking about some pretty serious stuff here and some adult behavior, and I know that our producer here, Tony Mann, has some bad pot jokes to share with us. So can you indulge us with that? I, ha- I don't have any bad, bad pot jokes. Maybe Tony does. No, Tony has some really bad pot jokes, so you're going to have to go along with it. So that's, that's kind oh, of how I'm, I'm listening to you, okay? okay. I'm, right. Right, I'm rolling the joint right now. Some delicious kush. I guarantee it's... Yeah, there's a new pot coming out right now. It'll be out next year called Chocolate Chips Enough. Oh, <laughs> All love, right. love that. Well, that's how we'll celebrate. I'll, that's how I'm yeah, going to come celebrate you with you. Over. Yeah, you can... Yeah, you come through Chicago, or you catch us up on tour or whatever. And we're All out right. there in New York doing Howard Stern show. Yeah, and I'll turn you on to it because I'll have a Brinks truck with me. Yeah. Well, well, I guarantee chocolate chips enough is way better than the jokes that Tony's about to tell you. So, absolutely. So uh, let's give it a go. Bad pot jokes. What did the stoner at the party say before the cops showed up? What? Let's blow this joint. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what did the pack of papers say to the sack of weed? What? what? Let's roll. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> What's a stoner's favorite SUV? What? What? A blazer, of course. Oh. <laughs> You've got thrown off of the stage for these. Well, ones. luckily keep I'm not it, on stage. Keep it going. I'll leave that to Chip. What do you get when you eat too many edibles? What? Pot belly. Oh. <laughs> These are getting pretty bad. Uh, can we make it through this list? Well, we'll make it. We'll okay. make it. Bear with us, Chip. He's rolling. Uh, no problem. What does a mermaid smoke? Come on. We should know this one. Seaweed. Oh. How do you get a one-armed stoner out of a tree? How? Hold out a joint. <laughs> what do you call one bowl passed between three stoners? What? what? Malnutrition. <laughs> what do you call someone smoking two spliffs at once? Is it double jointed? It is double jointed. <laughs> oh, I win. You got it. What do you call a bag of weed spilled on the floor? What? Drug abuse. I like that one. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Consult my writer. <laughs> What's the difference between politicians and stoners? What? Stoners inhale. Politicians just suck. Kind of like that That's one. Not even funny. It's actually true. Yes. Uh, what do you call money that grows on trees? What? Cannabis. Are there any more? One more. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'll spare you. What? Did you hear about the kid that overdosed on weed? No. No. Neither did I. No. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Thank you, Tony Mann. Thank you, Chip, yeah, for putting really up with this. Right there. Bravo. Thank you, pal. Uh, I'd like to mention, speaking of Howard Stern, our engineer here, Eli Mendez, worked for Howard at K-Rock. So you're kind of cracking oh, him yeah. up in the booth there. Yeah, well- 
Yeah, we definitely crossed paths him and I because I've done that show so many times. Enough's enough, right? Yeah, right, Eli? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, not in. He had a good story about Snoop Dogg, too. Yeah, we start. You know what? I got in trouble in there. Uh, uh, we went in there, and Mark Mark Snyder brought us over to Stearns. He said, I want you to meet this guy. I think you're going to love him. We walk in there. Mark Snyder happens to be the brother of Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. All right on. And Mark was a radio, he was a radio rep for Atco Atlantic Records. Great. So he brought us over there, and the first thing we did was we smoked a joint in the bathroom, and we left the, we left the roach on, on the toilet. And then we, so we got on the show, we got reprimanded immediately for smoking pot in the building. And we didn't know, because we'd do it everywhere we go. And we weren't, <laughs> it wasn't like we were trying to be disrespectful. We were just getting ready for the show. We wanted to get, get a buzz. But Howard hailed that, and I think that's the start of everything off. He liked the fact that we came in there. We weren't disrespectful. We were just puffing a little bit, getting ready. We wanted it to be a great show, and that's what we do. And uh, I think Howard understood that because uh, we could have been doing blow or heroin or something, too, or drinking. He, did, he wouldn't have been happy with that. But pot, it was something that he embraced when he was younger, too. In his early shows, mm-hmm. he would smoke pot, too. And uh, he went through the same thing as we did. So I think that was that was a real good thing that uh, we got caught smoking pot in there. And, and your your guy was in there. Mendez was in there for sure. He knows about that because they were talking oh, about yeah. through the whole building. Oh, yeah, he knows. guys came in here and started smoking. In the fucking He's kind of an accomplice, I think. <laughs> we're going to get him on the mic sometime. Yeah, we went back the second time to play uh, on Stern. We were going to play a couple songs acoustically. So we did the same thing, went in the bathroom. We were told we got in there by boy Gary. Uh, Gary says, oh, Chip, you know, please don't smoke any pot in the bathroom. You know, we, uh, we, there's no smoke in the building. We said, yeah, no problem, bro. And then we went in there, and, of course, we did again, just a couple of pops. And we left a big joint right on the, tab- on the table on the, on the sink. And then we went in there, and then he came in there and showed <laughs> Howard uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the pot that we left in the The bathroom. evidence. Howard, yeah, he goes, Here, here's the evidence. Here's what these guys are doing. Howard goes, that's why they're on my show. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that's and how you get the job sometime, right? Yeah, and Frank and all the guys, the art director, all the cats over to High Times Magazine, those guys just hailed it beyond belief and invited us right over there the next day to come out and hang out with them. And then we ended up playing, uh, going out and doing the Cannabis Cups uh, in Amsterdam for the next four years in a row. All right on. Well, there. our own uh, Laura Sativa was at the Cannabis Cup when you were there with uh, Mongrel Bitch. So you might have had some run-ins with them. Indeed. Fun times. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, I know uh, these phone calls now are very expensive to the Midwest, so I'm going to kind of cut this off. But um, just one last question that I had for you was um, talk about the similarities and the differences between having a rock band and your past career in minor league baseball. Well, I learned a lot from playing baseball. I must tell you, I took a lot of those liberties and I, 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 I brought them to my band. I've seen how people carry themselves, and it's all about uh, having a great disposition and being having the positive thoughts every single day, and and, and going for the the trophy. And that same thing with uh, you know what you guys do for a living as well. Uh, it's all about the chase, you guys, and, and having a great run. And when it comes to making rock and roll records. Uh, or uh, what you guys do, there's one word that comes to my mind. It's called discipline. It never hurt anybody. Right on, right on. Very cool. That means a lot coming from you, too, seriously. Right on. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for calling. This is one of uh, my favorite rock stars uh, and a really good guy, and I can't really 
say any more than that. So we hail you. I hope we catch you. We hail you. Listen, I hope to see you guys in New York next year. I'm on a big run. Check out enoughsenough.com for all the dates. Always. Diamond Boys, killer album. Killer. I appreciate. I much appreciate. New record's going to be really solid as a rock as well, guys. It's all done. Should be getting it out there to to the public in the next uh, four or five months. So uh, it's been a labor of love. I'm really excited about the next record. It's just the heaviest thing we've ever done. Right on. People are going to be very very surprised when they hear it. Um, But I want to say, you guys, I uh, I wish you well on the show, and I hope you guys all live to be 100 years old. Right. Right on, my man. We'll talk soon. This has been Chips Enough on the Leaf. Hail the Leaf. Hail the Leaf. Uh, This is Chip from Enough's Enough, and I'm telling you right now to hail the leaf. Hail the leaf. All good things must come to an end. Thank you for checking out The Leaf, your home for heavy cannabis culture. Big shout-outs to this week's cast and crew. The Great Chips Enough. Professor Dr. David Cristiani. The legendary Robert Plant. Smoke and Laura Sativa. And producer Tony Mann. I'm Stephen Blush. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time on the Leaf Broadcasting Network. Thanks for listening to The Leaf, part of the Art of the Interview podcast series, powered by the Blush Media Network.